So this interesting theme that we are in the middle of um, kind of comes with lots of stereotypes if you've ever thought about who Bathsheba is. We'll go into it a little bit more in a moment. But I just want to pray and just ask God to just flow as I speak. Lord, I thank you for the moments that we have to just come around your word and hear what your spirit is saying to us. I pray that, Lord, you would take my words and you would do with them what you want to do in people's hearts and minds and that, Lord, they would come closer to you as a result and they would know the power of Jesus and the cross as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So can you quote the key verse yet from the genealogy in Matthew 1? (laughs) This little, you know... We, any, any volunteers from memory verse? Let me just refresh. Refresh. So this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You heard about her a few weeks ago. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife secret code there for Bathsheba. She doesn't even get named here. (laughs) And Jacob, the father of Joseph, I'm reading from chapter 16. I've skipped quite a bit there. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. So there's 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This genealogy highlights women and Gentiles are important. And I'm sure you've been hearing that kind of theme throughout the weeks. They're important in the story of Jesus. But I'll be looking mainly at the story behind Uriah's wife. And I've called it the secrets of the city this morning. And I'm sure you can think of other titles that might have (laughs) similar things in Hollywood. So who loves a family secret? Anybody like to know what the family secret is? (laughs) No, nobody does that. Well, Luke's got a family secret, and it was funny because we were telling our kids the other day just because it came up. I don't know how it came up, but probably because I was speaking about it, and they went, what, what, what? (laughs) So Luke's grandmother was married in 1930, and her name was Dossie, and she, on her wedding day... Um, she bought her certificate to the celebrant. She'd never seen her birth certificate before. Somehow that had been hidden from her. And she found out on her wedding day that her mother wasn't her mother, but was in fact her grandmother. And her eldest brother was not her brother, but in fact her father. Bit of a bombshell (laughs) on your wedding day. And unfortunately, her life was one of bitterness. And it wasn't a very pretty... She was pretty lonely, and it didn't work out for her. Her children, though, so Luke's dad, um, he lived a life away from God for most of his life until a moment happened where there was a bit of tension in the marriage and things with Luke's mum were... You know, they they had separated, and they were on the verge of what's next. And in that moment of desperation, Luke's dad decided to go and reach out to 
um, the local church pastor. And lo and behold, he becomes a Christian. And Jesus intervenes into his family line. And from then on, things changed. The trajectory of their family changed. All of Luke's siblings are in the church. They all came to faith through that one disastrous moment that could have turned one way or the other. So it could have been very different. And I wonder how much the the change and the turnaround was a result of who we actually married. (laughs) Janet was part of a family who had Christians in it and prayers. Her grandmother used to pray for her to become a Christian and come to faith. And uh, I just love how God weaves a story together. We'll never know if that's the, the reason they came to faith, but prayer makes a difference in your family line. So a new history began and a generational blessing continued and has continued for even our children. So secrets in our families cause damage, don't they? When we try and hide things, causes hurt, causes sorrow, pain, anxiety. Holding a secret is really tough. If you've ever had to put up a brave face and hold on to something that you're struggling with, you'll know how that feels. But imagine doing that for most of your life. Imagine that being who you are. Nobody really leads the conversation around the Christmas table with the family secret, do they? (laughs) Until later in the afternoon when, no, (laughs) none of you do that. (laughs) Matthew, though, in his genealogy, is happy to let all the skeletons in the closet be seen, which is unusual. It's not a common practice in genealogies for for women to make the headlines, to be in there at all. And yet he's he's almost relishing in the fact that they have a name, they have something to tell us through their story. And I won't go into it, but the four that were mentioned, they all have a story of their own. And perhaps Matthew might be trying to counter the claims because Mary's about to have this baby and they don't really know where this baby came from, apart from what Joseph had said through an angel and it just all seems a little random and scandalous, really, to think that that could be a possibility. And so perhaps all this blemish in the family line is to introduce us to somebody who changes the family line forever. So let's just take a quick look at Bathsheba's story for a few moments. So I'm just going to read it. For those of you who need a refresher and haven't, um, maybe you haven't understood who she is before. So her story's found in 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 27. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. Now remember David and Goliath, David the shepherd boy, David who was the, the warrior, He had the accolades. This is King David, the great King David, conquered cities. City of David was named after him. In the springtime when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men instead of going himself and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. 
One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. The secret begins. <laughs> so Bathsheba was married to Uriah, who was serving with David. He was one of the 30 mighty men. Her father was also one of the mighty men. Her grandfather was an advisor to King David, and it was like he was sharing the very words of God in the council he brought David. So this was a close family to the royalty of, of King David. But this story often comes with it embellished. We often hear, I don't know if you've seen those old movies about David and Bathsheba and how seductive she was and all the things that went on. And she's been stereotyped into this character that almost makes out to be David was the victim instead of her. She was the victim. It's interesting, after I read all of this, even in chatting to Lake, he goes, well, she was naked. And he looked at I said, no, no, no. Nothing says in the text that she was naked. And when I looked up the ritual cleansing, often they... The women cleansed in linen cloths when they were bathing. So there's no proof that she even was in that. Yet we've, we've taken the Hollywood bait and made her into this, you know, somebody who's luring the king into her clutches. <laughs> but I'll let you read the rest of the story to find out um, a little bit more. It's interesting. She's not even necessarily aware that she's being watched at this moment, which is a very sad thing. Another thought is that he's in a position of power. He's the king. And if the king summons you, what are you going to do? Are you going to say no? You're going to go, aren't you? Did she have a choice to be there? How could you say no to the request of a king? Now, it doesn't seem like in the case of Tamar that it was rape because the scripture would have said... That it, was, that it was the case. But either way, it, we're not sure whether it was a consensual thing, this whole episode. But either way, her life changed forever in that moment through no fault of her own. She's gone about her every day and bam, life changes forever. Don't know if you've had a moment like that where life changed forever, when you look at your past and your upbringing your family line, or perhaps since you've been married, something's happened. Verse 6 to 25 is basically David trying to cover up the mess of this scandal. And he tries by murder and just dealing with the mess as best as he knew how. It's a great story. So in Samuel 2, 2 Samuel, verse 11, 26, it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. She loved her husband. After that time of mourning was over, 
David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. Sounds like he got away with it, doesn't it? But the next verse is, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Nowhere in scripture does God rebuke Bathsheba for the wrong she did. The whole next section is David being dealt with by the Lord about his sin that displeased him. And in that next section of scripture, the prophet Nathan comes to David to confront him in a roundabout sort of way because you could never really just directly tell the king what's going on. So he shares a little parable with him about... And the parable was about a rich man and a poor man who had nothing but a little ewe lamb. The poor man fed and cared for the ewe lamb in his home like it was a daughter to him. Until one day the rich man didn't just take the ewe lamb, he cooked it and fed it to his guests. And this enrages David. He's like, that that shouldn't be right. That's not right. That shouldn't happen. And all of a sudden the penny drops and he realises that he's done that very thing that he finds detestable. So the divine parable points to King David as the aggressor and the predator and to Bathsheba as a beloved and vulnerable lamb. So Bathsheba's story paints the picture of a young wife cherished by her husband, powerfully taken and consumed. It's a very sad story, isn't it? How do you ever recover from that? So David said sorry for his sin. And if you remember that scripture in Psalms, creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit. That's David crying out to God for mercy. And God forgives him, but there's consequences. You know, the scripture in Romans says, the wages of sin is death. And the, the child that was conceived actually died as a result of punishment that God gave David. And I'm not saying that God punishes you by taking children away. That's not how God works. This is prior to the New Testament of Jesus. And it's bad news that the wages of sin is death. But the great thing is, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus his son. So Jesus' birth that we remember at Christmas, his death, his resurrection, his life, everything changes in that pivotal moment when Jesus comes on the scene. So from then on, Paul Bathsheba pays for the consequences of David's sin through her grief, grief, through her loss, through her shame. She was widowed. And in the midst of that grief, she lost the baby. Just heaping sorrow upon sorrow. So it wasn't the fairy tale life that's presented in Hollywood. You know, she was the youngest wife of David. And all up, he had 19 children, (laughs) five to her, or four that lived, 
and because of David's sin, the dysfunctional baggage of his family, um, it, his family line spiralled out of control, and there was upheaval, rape, murder, intrigue, all the good things that are great to read, but not if it's your own life. <laughs> so Jesus, the son of David, the son of David, came as a baby to redeem everyone, regardless of their mistakes. Have you ever found yourself paying for someone else's sin, like Bathsheba? Maybe you're caught in a spiralling spiral of consequences of someone else's lust or greed. Maybe you're reeling from the wreckage of a business past partner and what they should have been. Um, and you should have been able to trust them. Or perhaps it was a husband who decided to leave. Maybe you're suffering from some wounds as a result of um, a grown child or perhaps even a parent. Maybe in the mess of your own compromise or indiscretion or lapse. Maybe there's some mess there. So what hope is there in the middle of the mess, the mistake and the pain? Why does, why does the Bible name Bathsheba in the lineage of Jesus? Right there in Jesus' family tree, Bathsheba's name flashes like a beacon of the good news that Jesus came to pay for other people's sins. For your sin, for my sin, the sins done to us. We don't hear a whole lot about Bathsheba after that, but she's sprinkled through scripture. And um, I enjoyed finding out just some of the wisdom that she was able to offer us as she continued on her journey, which she's famous for this one moment, yet she did so much other, <laughs> other great stuff to contribute to the life, particularly of her son Solomon. I'm going to skip quite a bit, and I'm going to let you investigate what Bathsheba um, actually did with the rest of her life. She had... Nathan, the prophet, come alongside her and encourage her to go after the promise that David had made that her new son, King Solomon, um, would be king one day. And she could have gone, oh, that's too hard, I don't want to approach the king, but she went after that promise and she saw King Solomon come and come to the throne. Bathsheba was honoured by King Solomon. So she was not only um, because of her, you know, she's the birth mother, she became the queen mother. And there's a passage here that talks about her being seated at his right hand, which is a place of honour, which is a place of being given a voice. He gives her a voice to speak into his life. He respects her. Imagine... How, how much of a turnaround that would have been from the shame that she'd lived under with the whole saga earlier in her life. And that's in Kings, 1 Kings 2.19. Bathsheba's wisdom was highly regarded by Solomon. Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. He's telling everybody, 
Mum and listen to your mum and dad. He got some good stuff to say. Even though he didn't take most of her advice, <laughs> as you'll, if you read his story, she still had great advice. And sometimes as parents, kids aren't always going to take our advice. But it doesn't stop us from sharing what a great decision is in following Jesus and following the pathway that God has, has laid out for us. She's present on King Solomon's wedding day and there's a song of, um, in Song of Songs 3.11, there's another verse in there where she just praises and blesses the, the new bride. I love that. In Proverbs 31, you know the, the highly esteemed woman that we all aspire to be like or we get daunted by because she seems so perfect was actually thought to be a picture of who Bathsheba was. <laughs> and as he writes it, she's worth more than rubies. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She's clothed with, clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh for days to come. This woman who was <laughs> weak and vulnerable is laughing at days to come and is clothed with strength and dignity for the disgrace that she had earlier. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Her children arise and call her blessed. And her husband also. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think that's one of the highlights of Bathsheba's life, that she had a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord. And her legacy continues to Psalm 45, where I'll read that in a moment. So Bathsheba's story encourages us to trust God to redeem our lives' mess because he's going to work out things for our good. We all have doubts, though, though, don't we? How can that really happen? <clears throat> Perhaps it's taken a really long time to see that occur in your life. And, hey, I'm hurting right now because of the consequences of what happened. What do I do in the middle of my mess? Stuffed, this thing has stuffed up my life forever. People might not know, but emotionally, it's done something to you. Today, I want to just bring a few thoughts around what Bathsheba and her responses can offer us. Because we all have this inner voice that wants to take us down and get rid of our future. And so if we're not aware of that inner voice, I just want to, I guess, bring awareness that this inner voice sometimes wants to disable your future. And it certainly wanted to do that for Bathsheba. Things like, I'll never be all I could be because of that thing. It's now ruined my life. This event in my life, I'm going to struggle with my entire life because of that. It's now in my family line. It's just part of who we are. It's always going to be there. But from Bathsheba, we learn that hurt and hardship happen and grief takes time. The things are going to happen to us. She mourns, she grieves. And I'm not saying that you have to move on as quickly as she necessarily did. It takes as long as it takes. But we don't see any hint of resistance when David asks her to be his wife. We don't see her pushing back. We don't know necessarily how she coped with all this emotionally. 
but she seemed at ease to be honouring the king with giving her, her life to him, with sacrificing who she was to be part of his family. So we have the ability to choose to live in forgiveness or unforgiveness when things happen. And I think for her to continue to have this healthy outlook on life, I think she had dealt with some of these skeletons and there was forgiveness that took place. There weren't any bag-out David speeches that she gave in Scripture. There weren't any, well, do you know what he did to me? And da 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 There wasn't any of that in her vocabulary. In fact, it's the opposite. There's blessing. But sometimes we need to acknowledge there's been hurt. We don't see that toxic resentment. You know when you're chatting to someone and you know there's something in their past that's happened and they just can't get past it and it comes up all the time? We don't kind of get that when we read Bathsheba's story. Perspective is everything. Is another thing that we can learn. Take a wider look at what's going on. Sometimes when we get so consumed in our story, we forget about the generations and the influence that how we respond in this moment is going to affect our children and their children's children. She probably didn't understand that Jesus would be coming 28 generations later. But in hindsight, we get to enjoy the beauty of what God has woven through her story. Another thing we learn is that reputation can be restored. In her humility of serving the king, she's raised up. and She was honoured and not disgraced by Nathan the prophet. And, you know, those in the palace respected her and called her blessed. And as I said, she wasn't, she was put in a position of honour on this throne next to her, her son. Can I encourage you? And I just felt like God just wanted me to probably bring this message and I probably waffled too much. But this, I really felt like for you guys as a congregation or maybe some individuals here, that what has happened to you doesn't have to stop you. I feel as though there's been, you feel as though there's been too much happen in your past and it's just a bit too hard to kind of go there and think about that and have it dealt with. And I feel like God's saying, God can do something about that past and he wants to renovate it, he wants to rename it. God's working even when you can't see him. He's working in your life. And perhaps there's some declarations that you can begin to say over your family as a result of perhaps some of the things that you've accepted as being the norm in your family line. And I'd love to pray at the end if anyone can identify some of those things that are perhaps just just sitting there in your family line that God wants to just eradicate and and deal with and do something about and, um, and take the power of those things out. Another thing we learned from her uh, from is, is this awareness that we need to have of the discouragement um, that can be felt when you're in the middle of the story. And 
I don't necessarily see discouragement for Bathsheba. I see her overcoming. And I see her doing that by holding on to the promise that her son one day is going to be on the throne. So if God gives you a promise, hold on to the promise. That's going to encourage you in the middle of what you're going through. Another thing, and this one's a hard one because it's a bit controversial, die to self. Live in submission. What an awful thought because he was a powerful figure in her life and we don't promote that kind of a relationship in the 21st century at all. But I think there's something we can learn about how we can submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not men, but the lordship of Jesus Christ. And not my will, not what I want on this earth, but I lay that down and I live out the life that he wants me to live. Another thing in the middle of the story is that faith community matters. Surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you to go for it. She had Nathan there. It's obvious she had a fear of the Lord. You know, do you need a parent? Do you need a friend? Do you need a connect group? Do you need someone around you that's going to encourage you to go after the promise like she did with Nathan? Another thing we learned from Bathsheba is to keep going and keep sowing. She didn't stop. She didn't give up. She didn't say, well, that's it. I'm over. Nothing more written about me. Full stop. She kept going. She kept giving wisdom. She kept being that mum to Solomon and her other children. She kept going. And passages in Proverbs 1, all through, sprinkled through there is her wisdom that would have been gleaned. You know, yes, he, that Solomon was given a gift of wisdom by God, but he was trained and brought up by a mum who was very wise. And I love this one. Overcome bitterness with blessing. She was... She didn't have this toxicness when she spoke. And in Psalm 45, when I heard that this was perhaps something that someone had taken and made a song out of, was actually something that she had said as a blessing over her new daughter-in-law. It just, it actually floored me. I got so teary. And yes, it's a prophetic image of Jesus and the, and the bride, which is us. But let me just read you something that really stuck out to me. In verse 11, let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Sounds like David and her story, doesn't it? Honour him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favour. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. She's looking at this new daughter-in-law and she's prophesying this glory upon her. And yet, was she finding any glory in who she was when she was in the king's palace? In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. What garments was she led to the king with? But she's here blessing in embroidered garments, she's led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her. Those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. She can see the joy and she's celebrating with this new daughter-in-law. 
but there's no sting of the pain that perhaps she felt when she was led into the king's palace. And it wasn't that joy and gladness on that day for her. And yet, here she is, blessing. And the hope that we have is that when we see Jesus face to face as the bride of Christ, his church, there's a sense of gladness. He's enthralled with the beauty of us, his church. And we're going to be led in with joy and gladness. So the last thing is that our inner voice really wants to disqualify us and define our identity. Shame wants to keep you in that place where you can't be the parent that you think you'd like to be, that business person, that Christian, because of that thing hanging in your past. You can't lead worship. You can't be a connect group leader. It tries to say that you can't make a difference because of who you were and who you are. It makes it about identity, not just an event. It says, you are a female, therefore you can't speak up and have a voice. I know that's not the case in a lot of places, but sometimes females can feel that way. Maybe it's about your wrong aptitude. Maybe you've said, I, I, I can't, I'm not smart, I'm dumb. I've got little experience, little knowledge. I'm not from the right culture. So we label ourselves because of who we think we are and it disqualifies us from being able to live the purpose of God. But I love Bathsheba's life. It's relabeled and it's redefined. No longer is her life labeled as bad news, sin, failure, grief, loss. I mean, it took generations for her legacy to um, show through. Um, and that's, you know, in this genealogy of Matthew. But in that genealogy, it redefines who she is. And it defines who we are. Her reputation's restored, her past is redefined. The very saviour of the world is proud to include her name in his lineage. And he's proud to include your name in his lineage as well. In Luke 2, and the scripture the kids read is one of the key verses here that just stuck out at me. The Gospel of Luke shares the Christmas story, the day that the gift of a new name came into the world. He redefined the label, the stereotype, the identity that we had. Luke 2 says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to their own town to register. Remember, it's about their lineage. So Joseph is in the line of David and because of his heritage, he's actually in the right place to be affected and relabeled because of who he was. Now becomes someone of who he's becoming. So Joseph went up from there into, the, into Judea to Bethlehem, to the town of David. 
David was actually born. It was called the city of David because David conquered it. That's Jerusalem. But David was in fact born in Bethlehem, just where Jesus was. And so this city that had been always thought of as David's realm, and we know what happened in David's life if we want to think about the secrets of the city. And yet Jesus comes into that very city, that same place, and he says, later on, I love it, do not be afraid, I bring you good news, not bad news of what happened in the past, good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. Today, something changed. The day Jesus was born, something changed. Today in the town of David, the place where we know some of that yucky stuff happened, a saviour has been born. A saviour has come into that very place of secret, of shame, of hiddenness. A saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And we know there was great rejoicing at the birth. And it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. You have peace in your line. You have favour in your family line as a result of this new defined label that you are in Christ's lineage because of what Jesus has done. There's such hope for us because the inclusion of these messy characters in Jesus' lineage shows us that there's a place for us. Look who loves you, who accepts you and he saves you. Your future is redefined. Where there's been anxiety, there can be peace. Where there's been disgrace, there can be favour because of who Jesus calls you. Will you trust Jesus to redeem the mess of your life? He can redefine and put a new label upon you. And he's at work for your good. And this Christmas, I just wanted to remind you of how important the gift of Jesus is to our future, to our middle, to our past. Imagine today if we all got a hold of and decided to hold on to the promise of forgiveness that he offers, of healing, of favour, of peace. Even through the delays, even through the messiness of unfolding of consequences. Imagine if we did it for the generations to come. What might our future, what might the future of this church and the church at large look like if we all embraced who we were as a result of what Jesus Christ did? I'm wondering if you can just close your eyes for a few moments. You know, there might have been things that came up for you as I was speaking that you were reminded of in your family line and perhaps you've never thought of them or perhaps they're just always there in the back of your mind. Perhaps there have been things that you've dealt with or you feel as though 
you've overcome or you're working through, or perhaps you've just put it in the closet and hope no one finds out. Today I want to just offer prayer, and we can do that after the service is finished. If you feel like you want to just make a declaration again over your family and the generations that are come, to, to cut off those things that are in the past that, that you know have affected you moving forward, perhaps as a family or you individually, and you want to rewrite the story in your mind, I'd love to pray with you this morning. But let me just pray over us all. Lord, we thank you today that you came, that you willingly came into this world. We thank you for the gift that you are to us. We thank you for the price that you paid. Lord, we know that our sins need to be dealt with, but we thank you that the perfect sacrifice of Jesus pays for our sin the perfect sacrifice. And today I pray, Lord, for just a renewal of love in people's hearts and minds. Lord, for Jesus, who's come to make a difference. Lord, we thank you today that what was our past and what wanted to define us, today we take on that new label. We take on that child of God, that descendant of Jesus, Lord, that we would be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you that, Jesus, you include us with all our mess and all our stuff, and you call us blessed. Thank you for the future ahead for us and for this church. We pray blessing upon it and healing, I pray, in people's hearts and minds as they come to you with all of this stuff. Thank you that you give us that space to do that today. I pray this Christmas would be a time where it's not just all busy and it's all uh, chaos or it's hard relationally. And I, Lord, pray for, Lord, just opportunities when we're with family for healing to flow, for forgiveness to take place, for peace for resentment to be let go of. Lord, for for us to live in a way that is glorifying to you, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I pray blessing today upon this church in Jesus' name. Amen.